0: So we'll get started. So, first of all, I want to thank, as always, Jonathan and Tamar Miller, who mm-hmm. sponsored the whole series in memory of Ted and Pauline Miller, Zichronim Lavracha, and also all the rest of our sponsors for the month uh, Dahlia Orlev, in loving memory of Dahlia's sister, Joan Fader, Chanabashamuel Olivia, and Sarah. Uh, also to Miriam and Yasi Sawson, who sponsored the Ilui Nishmat, Pinchas Benachem, and Avram David, of Levracha, marking his first site on the 12th of Sivan. Uh, and also thank you to Ira Brown, who sponsored in honor of his 50th birthday on the 7th of Sivan. To our weekly sponsors, thank them as well, Mindy in Memory of Mindy's Father, Mayor Yoshua Ben Asher, Anshala Cohen, of Levracha, and to our, our daily sponsors, I guess today's not... Any of these days, so we'll, we'll leave it at that. Okay. So, at the end of uh, last week, David sees Shaul come to where he and Shmuel were meeting. This unbelievable moment, and they're all ex- everybody's experiencing prophecy. there's prophecy all over the place. All the messengers come; they have prophecy. Then, then Shaul comes, and he has prophecy. And David, as he's witnessing all of this, he can only wonder, right? Like, what, what is this going to mean for me? Right? What, what, what's going to come out of all this? Right? After, after Shaul has his moment of prophecy, it was sort of a throwback to his glory days. So perhaps it's possible, right? David thinks for a moment, perhaps it's possible for these two great men, himself and Shaul, the men of Yehuda and Binyamin, perhaps they can work together to build the base of Mikdash. Perhaps it can happen. But he's not sure. So while Shaul takes off his clothing and has prophecy, right? He's like standing there, Kemat naked, having prophecy. David runs off because he knows the prophecy is going to end and who knows what's going to be when the prophecy ends. Will Shaul pick up his spear again and try to kill him? But where does he run? And this is where it gets very strange. You would think that he would take this opportunity to run someplace and hide. But where does he go? He goes back right, to the, to the epicenter of, Sha, of Shaul's land, to, to, right, he goes back to the royal court, right, he goes back to the place where, where just a few nights ago, Shaul tried to kill him, he sent men to kill him, and he had to climb out of a window, if you remember, right, I mean, it's crazy, what's going on, why would you run back to the place where, the, right, to, to where it's crawling with the men of Shaul, everybody's looking for David, he's the fugitive, why would you go back to that place, right? It feels like a movie, right? Like Tom Cruise would go back to the epicenter, right? Of where they tried to kill him. To the, to, he'd probably go back to Langley, right? And uh, break in and steal all their files or something like that. Mission Impossible. What is David doing? Right, what's the point? So clearly, he, as we see, if you look in source number one, he's going back to see one person. David minayot <speaking> He comes before Yehonatan, his good friend, Shaul's son. Me what have I done? Ma avoni machatasi lifnei what have I done before your father? Kimevakeshet nafshi, that he's trying to kill me. So says says Yehonatan, Yehonatan, which and this seems very, uh, very much like wishful thinking. No, he doesn't want him. He doesn't want you to die. He lo yase my father would never do anything big or small without talking to me first. Avi Mi many, why would he hide this from me?" Right. You know, so, so this is all very, you know, he, doesn't, he doesn't get it, right? He, maybe, does he not realize that men surrounded David's house, planning to kill him, and David only escaped with his life because he climbed out of a window? Does he not know this? oh, David." So David swears. Your father knows that I found favor in your eyes. Yonatan, my friend, there's a lot you don't know. Right? Your father is not talking to you, right? Because he knows that you're my buddy. And therefore, he's not telling you what he's planning to do to me. Right? Right? But truly, as, ha, you know, as Hashem lives... Right? There's just a step between me and death. You don't realize how bad the situation actually is. So, so why is he coming back here to, to meet with Yonatan? It's dangerous. It's very dangerous. Why is he not using this opportunity, opportunity when Shaul is naked and having prophecy to go slip away and hide somewhere? Right? So what's, what, what's he doing? Right? Anyone have any thoughts, just to put it out there for a moment? Right? Like why, why would he come back to Yonatan? We're not going in that direction. That is a a theory, right? (laughs) Right, the the, the biblical uh, critic scholar types. It's okay, we're not going that direction. But, uh, But assuming not, okay? Maybe he's just... Like, sometimes people assume people are like... And they sometimes assume that they're like them. They can't imagine that they would be... It's true, but they... I mean, he, he knows that Sheol wants to kill him. That, that's all, you know, at, at this point, David is totally clear-eyed. So why does he feel the need to go back and talk to Yonatan? He wants to say goodbye because he didn't know that he would have a chance he to say it. goodbye. So it could be that it's a goodbye, right? There's something, there's something happening here, you know, beneath the surface, right? There's something happening here that we need to understand. Now, I'm going to skip around a little bit throughout <laughs> this, this chapter just to try for clarity's sake. So I'm skipping a few psukim, um, but if you look at number two, we we find that in their meeting here, they make another covenant. They've already made a covenant before, but now they're making another covenant. Right? You should not only while, I, while yet I live show me in the kindness of Hashem that I die not. Yonatan says you should never you know cut off your kindness from my house forever. And this is something that will come into play in a very practical way years later after the death of Yonatan, when David upholds the bris, he upholds the covenant, and he takes care of Yonatan's family. Um, he goes, and, and when the day comes, when Hashem wipes out all your enemies, David, don't forget me. Right, Jonathan says, which is kind of, kind of amazing, because he's talking to a fugitive. Right, imagine Harrison Ford, right? Okay, he's there, he's terrified, he's looking around, and he's saying, one day when you're king, and no one's chasing you, and you're the, you're the king. Right, please remember me. It's, like, it's, it's wild. Yonatan is the one right now with all the Does power. Does know that he was anointed? Ah, so we're going to come to this. This is a good, very good question. But that's exactly how we should be thinking. What, did, what do each of them know? We're going to come to this. I mean, this has been fascinating to me. This is where a lot of the psychology comes in. It's really, really amazing. Um, and he said, right, so Yonatan makes a covenant with the house of David in Beit David. Right? He's pretty certain that David is not going to get killed by his father. Right? He believes in David. Uh, and we're told again how much how much he loves him. Okay, so they make a covenant. So, what, Why now another covenant? What What is the point of all of this? Well, maybe Yonatan senses because he's even though he loves David, he's loyal to his father still because his father is his father, and that's going to lead him probably down to the road of death, right? Or danger, but, uh, and he needs you know to know that his. So he said, right, So he's so he's feeling uncertain. So even though he already made a covenant, because he's feeling even more uncertain, perhaps, now that he realizes how how bad it is, he feels the need for a second covenant. So that could be. That certainly could be. But I think let's keep this question in mind. But now let's go back and and think about this very strange encounter. If you look at the first Pasuk in source number one, it says, He comes before Yehonatan which is an unusual way of saying this, right? It, it should have said, "Vayovo, Vayomer El Yohonatan. Why does it say Lifnei Yohonatan, that he comes before Yonatan. So the next few sources here, three, four, five, are all these different examples where you find Lifnei. So Vayomer Moshe Lifnei Hashem. Moshe says, right, before Hashem. We find the same thing, that's Moshe talking to Hashem. The next one we find the, uh, the Benos Tlafchad the daughters of Tzolavchad, holy women, they come v'talmodna lifnei Moshe. Okay? And then, by contrast, when Reuven Gad and Chatzim and Asha, the two and a half tribes, come to Moshe to ask permission to stay on the other side of the Jordan River, they, vayomru el Moshe. They don't say lifnei. We can go through many, many other examples. Right? I don't want to take all night. But what's the idea here? Lifne implies great humility, right? You're coming before somebody who's greater than you. Moshe comes before Hashem. Ani arel svatayim, right? I come before you, Hashem. The, the daughters of Tzolavchad, part of their greatness was their humility, right? They, they, they combined humility, not demanding and, you know, yelling and screaming. At the same time, they were also strong for the, for the honor of their father. They had that perfect confluence of humility and, and strength, which is what we all, we're all looking for, right, in this world. So they come before Moshe. They know who they're standing before. But when the two and a half tribes come, they're not coming in humility, right? That was, and Moshe gets angry at them. That's not a good encounter. David is coming before Yonatan, right? Lifnei Yonatan with great humility. So why is that necessary, right? Aren't they equals? Aren't they friends, right? I mean, we don't generally come before our buddies, right? Lifnei, right? We come before them in great humility. What is that about? They're equals. So, What's even stranger is if you go back and look at the, at the verses more carefully, this is wild. This is the first time that David is recorded as actually speaking to Yehonatan. If you go back, right, now look at number six. This is from a couple chapters ago, right? So this is when he first, this is after the Goliath story, and David is the, uh, the, David is the war hero, right? Shaul. Right after he finishes speaking to Shaul and just tells us that the soul of Yonatan was bound up with the soul of David. And Yonatan makes a Brit, right? That first covenant with David. And then Yonatan takes off his, his, uh, his royal garment and gives it to David in a very symbolic gesture that I'm giving it, it all to you. Right? Yonatan talks to David. He's the one who's everything. He's the active part, partner in this friendship. David, not a word. This is the first time we find that David even speaks to Yonatan. Also, very strange, right? Why is he so reserved up until this point? Why does it seem to be a completely one way relationship in chapter 18, right? Number six here. Why is it all, why is he so passive? Right? Completely passive. Fascinating. So, Yonatan is still the prince. So, that's true. But Yonatan doesn't come to David as the prince, he comes to him as his best friend. Right and and David is he's not a nobody at this point now he just he just slaughtered Goliath, right? Pretty awesome moment, right? So he's the one would think. I don't know. It's like it's very interesting. That you could you, know, you could argue that maybe he was wowed by the royal nature of it all. Maybe, right? That being that he wasn't used to that, he was a shepherd yeah. boy, perhaps. I'm just giving him the respect. That, that, so that, that certainly could be. The, not only the speaking, but it says and Nefesh David. That's only one direction. Exactly. Yeah, Behu also is also only in one direction. Exactly. It's all one way. Everything is one way. It's like David is standing there, awkward and uncomfortable, as Yonatan expresses his love and friendship for him. It's very weird. Didn't you say that Michal also did that? That's yeah. One-sided. So exactly. David, it's one-sided? Like exactly. Also, family also trait. right? David is like, one of them hates me, wants to kill me. And the others like are weirdly in love with me, right? It's like except they're all the right. It's like it's all. It's just it's it's a very. He has a very uh, weird relationship with these people of the house of Shaul, right? It's very interesting. So a really good What? <laughs> David. <laughs> you could argue that perhaps, except that from remember from the moment he's anointed, Hashem gave him a ruach haGvura, the ruach of Hashem came into him. He went and he killed Goliath. He can't do that with a weak self image. And he was running around to all the different men in the camp saying, How can we let this guy insult us? Somebody's gotta kill this man. And right and then he goes and he kills him. Right? So it's hard to imagine. But that's not necessarily a leader. A leader, you know, someone who's exceptional in that area, but it's not necessarily But then he goes and he's a general afterwards in chapter eighteen. Throughout the whole chapter he's going, he's he's lopping off foreskins of of (laughs) Philistines, (laughs) right? Like nobody's business, right? He has Shaw asked for hundred; he did two hundred, right? I mean, so it's it's. I, I think I think that it's fair to say that that the awkwardness here is 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 maybe unique to Yonatan, um, which which is also makes it more interesting for the sheer. So we're gonna go with that, um, but right because there, there's something very interesting in this relationship. I so I would explain that they have a like unbreakable bond. It's clearly one way. What kind of relationship does that is not fully the Dover so, so you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And there's something lacking in this relationship, which is fixed in this chapter, right? In this parak, we see that it now goes both ways, right? So what, what's going on here? So remember, we say this all the time, but particularly with these chapters, the Tanakh is leaving so much unsaid. Shmuel Hanavi, this is like the opposite of the Telol memoir, right, as we were talking about. Right? which leaves nothing to the imagination. That's this style in 21st century America now. Everybody's got a tell-all memoir, all the things you really don't need to know right? about their family and about their lives. It's like, I would have been okay without that information. Right? Here, it's the opposite. It's the op- So much is left unsaid. Um, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, there's something so powerful that's happening here, but if you would rush through it in Nachyomi, this is the downside of Nachyomi, you wouldn't necessarily see it. Right? These were great people but they were also people with real emotions. They didn't have our helicopter view where we know exactly what's going to be, right? They had no idea what was going to happen. And, because, and they also only had a partial understanding of events, which is your point. So I, I sat down, and I'm not sure if this is 100% correct, but I think this is mostly correct, right? I'm going going through Shaul, Yehonatan, and David, what did each of them not know? Okay, Shaul did not grasp really the extent of his children's love for David, right? That's why he messes up, right? They save him. And Shaul did not know that Shmuel had anointed David. He didn't know that. He wasn't a Navi anymore. Yonatan's really in the dark, right? He's drawn to David, but, and he can't understand why his father hates him so much. Over and over again in the Psukkim, we find that. Abba, like, what are you doing? <laughs> right? well, why do you hate him? What has he done? He can't grasp it. And he also can't figure out why he loves David so much, right? He knows that he, knows that he sees something great in this, in this man, but he's not really sure, right? So he doesn't know why he, the bravest soldier in all of Israel, Yonatan, was the bravest, bravest soldier. Why all of a sudden he couldn't find the strength to stand up to Goliath, but David could, right? He, wh- why? He can't figure it out. He's trying, to, he's trying to understand. He doesn't know the harsh things, that Shmuel said to his father, Shaul, when he failed to follow God's word at, with the battle against Amalek, that, that I'm going to tear this, God is going to tear this Malchus away from you. He doesn't know any of that. Remember, that was private. And, and Shaul said to Shmuel, please put on a show for everybody so they shouldn't know what you just told me. He does not know, still Yonatan, does not know that Shmuel has anointed David. Right, as the future king of Israel. And he doesn't know why his father ran off all by himself without any guards running off chasing David and 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 who knows, maybe we he heard about him taking his clothing off, right? And, and and prophesying. He doesn't know what's going on. Right? Yonatan is so in the dark, right? Isn't it? What is my father intending to do? What's going on here? So Yonatan really knows very little. And David Right? He didn't know that Shmuel had said to Sha'ul that I will tear this kingdom away from you and give it to somebody better than you, that it was about him. He doesn't know about any of that. That was a private moment. We read about it. The whole world knows about it now. right? But, but they didn't know. Nobody at that, point, at that time had any idea. And David could, could not have understood initially why Shmuel anointed him as king while Sha'ul was still king. He didn't know that the, the Malchus was being ripped away from Sha'ul. He had no idea. All of this only became clear to David when, when he runs to Shmuel and he, they have their all-night learning session that we talked about last week, that unbelievable moment in history where they, they talked about the future place of the Beis HaMikdash. And finally, all the pieces come together for David. Why all of this is happening. We can assume that Shmuel finally told him, Right? I, you know, this is why I anointed you because I was gonna, it, was, it was prophesied that it would be taken away from Shaul all of a sudden the pieces have become clear for David but it's clear for David but who is it not clear for? Yonatan, his good friend Yonatan who, I mean let's not forget his unbelievable greatness he's supposed to be the next king and he says it's all yours David one of the great moments of humility and kindness in all of human history and he's hiding everything from him Yonatan doesn't know what in the world is flying. David, I'm sure, felt pretty badly, right? One can imagine, right? The guilt that he must have had. Yonatan loves me, but he should really hate me because if only he knew that Shmuel anointed me as king, right, how would he feel about me then? Would, we, would he really think, you know, I'm such, ah. Oh, he loved me so much, right? Can we understand now why that love was Yonatan to David? It was one way, and David was standing there awkwardly, why is he? Why is he showing me all this love? He doesn't even because he doesn't know I'm about to replace you, right, buddy? Right. Uh, it, it, the whole thing was not open; it couldn't be revealed. Shmuel does tell Jonathan now at that dinner. That's later. That's after. Yeah, that hasn't happened. It's coming up soon. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, but it, it's really amazing, right? So he run, so even though it's dangerous, as soon as he learns how all the pieces fit together from Shmuel, he runs back to the epicenter of the danger. In order to tell Yonatan, right, to clear his conscience, to tell Yonatan what's going on. He has to tell him the truth. What an amazing drama that is not spelled out right, in the nothing. But I think, I think this is the simple understanding. I think this is the pshat. We don't have to go very deeply in order right, to, to imagine this being the case. I mean, this is true. This is the story. And now can we understand why it is that there's another covenant? Right, so take a look at, let's look at, uh, at number seven. Bakrach, he says, he's, like, he's imagining this conversation between David and Yonatan. He says, I'm coming to apologize, to seek your forgiveness. Because I'm guilty. When you made that first covenant with me, and you loved me as you love yourself, at a very high level, I remained completely silent. And I haven't really kept this covenant, that first covenant, properly with you. Because I've hidden from you a pretty important point that he was anointed by Shmuel to be the future king. They had a friendship, but it was never truly open. It was never truly there. Because this, 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 I had this secret that I couldn't tell you. But in, it, to a great degree, it was also hidden from me. Why did Shmuel anoint me and then walk away and not explain anything? Because I didn't understand it, I couldn't tell it to you. Right? I myself didn't understand this secret. I didn't feel comfortable sharing it with you. But now today, now that everything has become clear. Because I was just with Shmuel, the great prophet. I ran from there. Over here. Right? The first thing I did once I understood was to come and to make it right with you, Yehonatan. I owe you the truth. Right? This is, I mean, talk about a movie, right? I mean, talk about the drama. It's a It's unbelievable. Right? And maybe now you can understand yourself that which you maybe could never have understood until now, why it is that you cared so much for me. Right? Because it's all from Hashem that you felt this way for me, Yonatan. That you, that, you, that, that you were, without understanding, you were taking off your, essentially your crown and giving it to me. Right? Without necessarily intellectually grasping it, but spiritually, Yonatan was such a holy person, he sensed it. But now he can intellectually understand what he had spiritually sensed at that earlier point in time. Right? It's, such an, it's such an amazing, amazing moment. Right? Yonatan, you have to believe me right, that I'm not trying to usurp your father. None of this was my idea. Right? This was all brought upon me, and it was. That's the truth. Right? It came directly from Hashem. Right? It didn't, it's not from me. I'm not trying to steal the crown from you. Right? It, it's really uh, It's really something. Um, and says, the Abar Ben-El says this, Right? He, went, he says it very simply, right? He says that he went to Yonatan because he, this relationship did matter to him. Even if it was one way, it wasn't because he didn't want to reciprocate, it was because he couldn't reciprocate before. But now that he can, the first thing, right, that, that he wants to do is to bear his heart before his close friend and to tell him the truth. Did Shmuel not understand that all this was happening, and he was he, he didn't uh, didn't say anything because it, it wasn't his job to say anything? To yeah. yeah, there's uh yeah, it's a very interesting, right? Shmuel, remember he of David and he walks away. It's unbelievable, right? I mean that was the, right. He left him in the dark on purpose. I mean it's a really a it's a fascinating thing. Like we find something similar in Chazal that you know, say who say that Yitzchak. Right. Yitzchak knew that Yosef was alive, but he didn't say anything to Yaakov because it wasn't his plate. I mean, which is a pretty wild thing to try to wrap your head around. Right. All those years of suffering. He didn't say any. You know, it's hard, hard, to, hard to understand. Now, all of this, I'm sure, was surprising to Yonatan, but probably not shocking. Right. Because it confirmed everything that he had known, that he had felt before. Um. And from the very beginning, he, he had sensed that David is special. He knew that he was meant to be the next king of Israel. He didn't know why or how or when, but now David has confirmed everything and now he knows that he was really right all along, right? And to his eternal credit, Yonatan responds to, to now all of this being laid out before him as, I'm with you. I'm totally with you, right? And, and not only that, he makes another covenant with David to show it's, it's, all right, now that everything's out on the table, I'm still with you. I'm with you to the end, right? And I want you to be with me and with my family to the end, which is it's really an amazing, amazing, and beautiful moment. Now, I don't want to read through the entire chapter. It's a long chapter. We just read a lot of this uh, on Shabbos, right? The Haftorah. This is the Machar Chodesh Haftorah. It was my Bar Mitzvah Haftorah also. You never know when it's going to fall, right? The day before Rosh Chodesh, if, you're, if that's your Bar Mitzvah, that's, a, you know, that's it. Um, but we read this as past Shabbos, but just, you know, very quickly, quickly, quickly to kind of summarize what's happening here, um, right? So they make this covenant. It's all good. Ah, oh, Baruch Hashem, David and Yonatan are all good, but we got some other problems, okay? Shaul. Shaul's a very big problem. So tomorrow, the next day, right? This is, right, is, is going to be Rosh Chodesh, and that was apparently a very big time where everybody came to eat together with the king. And we'll talk about, talk about that in a moment. Um, and so David says that if your father you know, m- sees that I'm not there, he misses, he m- misses me, you know, tell him, and he asks, where's David? So tell him that my family had a whole event going on in Beit Lechem. That's where he's from, <laughs> Ephrata. Right? That I, I went back to Beit Lechem, Efrata, you know, to be with my family. Um, tell him that. And then if he gets, if he's okay with that answer, so then, I'll, then we'll know that your father is back to his old self. Right? He was losing his mind, but he had his prophecy with Shmuel, and now he's okay. Right? Shalom al Yisrael. Right? That would be amazing. This would be a messianic moment. But if he gets angry, so then that's a bad sign. Right? That's a sign that he's coming after me. And I need you to come back and tell me that so I can know for certain that Shaul has not had a change of heart, which he thought he might have had. I'm just going to skimming through the rest of it. So this is what David does. He says, I'm going to hide out here in the woods, right? And then you, after this happens, after the whole, you know, the interaction with your father happens, come back out here and give me a sign. So what's the, what's the sign? It's very interesting, right? It's, it's the arrows, the famous arrows test of the, of, of the book of Shmuel, where he says that if, it, so Jonathan says, right, if I shoot the arrows and they fall, you know, before you, they don't go that far, right? That's a sign that everything's okay. But if I shoot them beyond you, right, that's a bad sign. (coughs) That's a sign that uh, my father got angry and you're going to have to run. Okay, so they go through this, right? The next day is Rosh Chodesh, it comes. I'm kind of summarizing the whole chapter here. And of course, Shaul's anger is kindled, right? And this is a Pasuk 30, right? (laughs) Vayichar Shaul bi and he, uh, and he says to him, right, he says, Ben navata mardu, he says, you rebellious son. He really rips into Yonatan. This is the worst moment. This might be the worst moment in their lives together, in their relationship. Yeah. Really, the harsh language that he uses, Halo Yadati Kivochera Tala Ben right? I knew it. I knew it that you chose Ben Yishai over me. You chose David over me. Levoshetecha, Levoshet Ervati Mecha, right? And it's a shame to you. Right, it's a shame to your, to, right, to your mother. It's a, shame to, it's a terrible shame. Because right, he says that as long as David lives, right, your kingdom will not be established. So, so let's send for him and, and get him here because he deserves to die. Right, so Yonatan was uh, you know, shocked. And he says to him, what has he done? What has he done? Even, even under this, these terrible circumstances, he stands up for his friend and Shaul takes a spear and chucks it at his own son. All right, that's about uh, as bad as it could be, right? All right, thankfully, he doesn't hit him. And Yonatan was incredibly angry and incredibly embarrassed. And it's a terrible moment. Anyway, he leaves the meal and he comes back, you know, back to where David is. And he's coming with his, uh, with his guy, with his, uh, man. who knows, if, I wonder if it's the same young man who fought the Plishtim with him back in chapter, in chapter 13. Probably not. But he, got, he brings a young man a man with him, the guy who's going to go and fetch the arrows I'm practicing shooting, okay? I gotta clear my mind after my father yelled at me in public. So he, he, and he shoots, and of course, he shoots beyond David, right? Because it's a bad sign. So the the young man goes and gets the arrows, brings them back to Yonatan. Yonatan says, Thank you, you can go back to the city, go back to where everybody else is. And then when he's finally there alone, David comes out of the woods, and they have, uh, you know, a moment. Right now, it's a moment of complete clarity. Right, and this is the last two psukim. Hanar ba negev. So David arose out of the place towards the south. But he pulled up of He bows down three times. Then they, they kiss each other, they hug each other, they cry, and David cries even more. Right, David's uh, crying more than Yonatan. And then Yonatan says to David, go in peace. Right, you know we've we've sworn both to each to each other in the name of Hashem. Hashem should be between us, you know, between my children and your children forever. Okay. So this is uh, this is the the moment, right? We know this. The, the break is completely final. The last that, that moment that he had with Shmuel, where he prophesied, is not going to last. And uh, it's a sad moment, but uh, but at least they know that they have each others they have each other's back. What do people say about the whole arrow thing? Uh, if they could get together alone, quietly, by themselves. So why shoot work? the arrows? Why, why uh, the whole it's a great world? question. It's a great question. We're going to, we'll come to that exa- 100%. It's a great question. We're like, what do they need to shoot the arrows? Just leave the guy, the young man, back in the, in the city, and come back out and talk to David in the woods. I don't know. I mean, it, it all seems a little bit elaborate and unnecessary, the whole thing. Well, but all his all father may ask him where he's going. Sorry? Shall was suspicious of your mind. Right this was part of the, the play okay so 100% 100% although yeah you're right he was suspended it could be though that that after you know he chucked the spirit him you know it was fair fair that he would want to leave the city a little bit for a little while right but yes you're right it's a fair point that maybe this was just cover for why did he walk out of the city at all that could be um no it's interesting just as like a a small point you know initially if you Go back to that first source, all the way number one at the beginning. Um, Yonatan was, was at that point still lacking all this knowledge and understanding, and he said to David, right, <laughs> Lo vi davar davar right, my father would never do anything without me knowing, right? Totally wrong, but he noticed the Korean kativ, right? That it, we read it as Lo my father would never do, but then what, what, how is it written? Lo asa, right? He would have done, right? Meaning. This is, this is there to tell us that from the beginning Yonatan was already suspicious that his father, that there was something between him and his father, that he didn't know the whole truth and now all of that is, is, is being borne out. <coughs> all that's being borne out. But, but let's pause for a moment. It's fair to ask, why was Shatwell so angry that David was not there? I mean this is the guy that he wanted to kill that he couldn't stand. So why is he so angry that he's not there? Well, he was so, remember when David was there Right in the last few chapters, he became so angry, he chucked a spear at him multiple times to kill him. So now that he's not there, he's angry? Well, that's why. He's not keeping track of him. So, but I, <laughs> what's going on here? Now, you could say it's just all emotions, right? You no, know, you know, he, he wants to know where David is because he's worried really about what David's up to. So, of course, he wants him, wants him around to keep an eye on him. But him But is he really surprised? Like, that David's not there. He, I mean, he chased him and tried to kill him. But there's the honor of the king to be there at Rosh Hodes like that, and it's expected It's part of the decorum. And David mm-hmm. was violating a basic. Even though, even though Shaul had literally sent assassins to murder him, I mean, it can't be that he's shocked that he's not that he's not there, yeah. right? I mean, okay. I, I mean, that's yeah. Right, he chased him. He sent that came after him. He just had like I, the whole thing seems. It, it, but doesn't wasn't he deemed to be sort of mentally? Right, so you could just explain all of this as like, right, that's a simple answer we could say, and I think it's fair, is that he's in a crazy emotional place. And he, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't, doesn't matter. Right, Doesn't nothing, nothing David does will be good, right, at this point. So you could say that very simply, and I would have left it at that, but I came across uh, the Chassam Sofer, which, was kinda, which I don't usually see, um, but I found this. It was referenced somewhere, and I looked it up. And I thought it was very interesting. So just he adds another emotional insight, which I thought everybody would like. He says, Kiyaduah, this is number 10, Sha'ul Ita Ruach Ra'a Neva right? Shaul where he was in the back in the grips of his evil spirits, right? His Right, he didn't have the prophecy anymore. Now what remembered David Lefanav. David would play music and would calm him down. And he was the only one who could calm him down. The guy he hated was the only one who could calm him down. Isn't that why he was brought to the that was why he was brought to the palace in the first place. Mm-hmm. This was a very big moment. Every Rosh Chodesh was when they all gathered together at the king. All the important people were there. Right? And what's happening? So normally, before he decided he wanted to kill David, David would make sure on for Rosh Chodesh that Shaul, he played a lot of music. <laughs> so that when everybody came, Shaul would be able to be calm and not embarrass himself. Right. He was ready. He knew that you know what Shaul's secret of how you know what a dark place he was in, and so, so when everybody was coming, it was a very high pressure moment. So he would make sure to calm him down to make sure that Shaul was not embarrassed in front of all these important people. But now here we go, the first day of the, of the Rosh Chodesh meals, he doesn't come to the meal. is So, okay, Shaul says, all right, fine, one day, you know, Right, so Shaul let it go for the first day, and he controlled himself. I mean, it's not just that he didn't say anything about David, he kept his mouth shut that whole first day, because Shaul was not in control of himself. Without David there to calm him down, he, wouldn't, he, could, he couldn't talk without potentially tipping off everybody that the king was unstable. Right? Not, not, and that's a dangerous thing. You let them, everybody know the king's unstable, they could depose you. All right, so he didn't say a word. <laughs> He's afraid that if he opened his mouth, he would get angry, lose his temper, and then he would be ashamed in front of everybody. But on the second day, David doesn't come as the Psukam say. Right? So he thinks David is doing this to me on purpose. He knows that I'm in a, in a dark place. And, and one day now, the second day, he's causing making me suffer. Right, talking about it. he's like an evil genius, David. By not showing up, he's going to make me right lose my mind because I have no calming, soothing music, and then I'm going to be embarrassed in front of everybody. Right, ukishashal love. And when he asked about him, and Yonatan says that he was going, that he went to Beit Lechem. He said, he's rebelling against the king. He deserves to die. Because he knew that David knew that Shaul could not handle two straight days without any of that soothing music. Otherwise, he was going to lose his mind, right? This is no, there's no medication to take back then. Right? Nothing to calm him down. He music once he David. Yeah, it's another good question, right? The whole thing is nuts right it's it's and it also explains shoal's anger at yonatan yonatan says you know why are you so you know angry at david right even though he and then shoal knows i can't tell you why this is in front of everybody i can't say why i'm so angry because i'm i'm losing my mind and i need david here to calm me down right you can't say that either right yonatan Aren't you on my team? You know my secret, right? That's something I'm sure Yonatan did know. He, he was cl- the closest son to his father. The next thing, he knew his father's secret, that his father was in a dark place. You know that I need David, and now you're defending him not being here? Aren't you on my team? And, and, and it's, it's exactly what happens. He loses his mind, right? He goes crazy, and, and he becomes embarrassed in front of everyone. it's more like anger and frustration they didn't really want to kill jonathan or sure. david he was just so angry and frustrated that's all he could do but throw the spear exactly you no, he did not want to kill him i 100 percent. no he did not want to kill him right it was more jonathan was angry but also embarrassed right it wasn't like he was actually chucking at him at him to murder him um Right, and, and and the Chazam Sofer continues, but I'll you know we can read it on your own. But uh, it's just I thought it was a really really interesting psychological take. So I couldn't help it. I put, you know, I put Queen here. You know, I can't I, I can't live with you. I can't live without you. I can't let you stay, but I can't live if you go away. I don't you know. Okay, you understand this is this is Shaul and David. He can't live with him and he can't live without him. He can't live right. He's it's it's, it's he's losing his mind. So now we understand, you know, David's test, right? If Shaul did not care that David was missing the Rosh Chodesh meal, what does that mean? It means that that prophetic moment with Shmuel healed him. And he doesn't really need David anymore. And he's healthy. And he's okay. But if he loses his mind, right, that means that that prophecy was just a a brief moment in time. And that Shaul, there's no going back, right? And 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 unfortunately, you know, he's this relationship is not reparable, right? It can't be repaired. And that it's going to continue this dangerous, unhealthy craziness, right? When you have a dangerous reliance upon someone, right, and a hatred, that there's nothing healthy and good about that. You got to be whole in, in yourself before you can have a proper relationship with someone else, right? That's what we always tell children, you know, who want to, like, get married when they're 17, right? They say, no, no, no. Two, two quarters have to make a half before two halves can make a whole, right? Take your time, right? We're not in such a rush, right? You Got to start college first. Um, the same thing, right? The Shaul is not whole, and so he couldn't have a healthy relationship, a proper relationship with David. And it might be a stretch, but I do think that there's something of this dynamic applies in our own time with the community, the people of Shaul that we've been talking about, right? This whole world of Tel Aviv, right? On the one hand, they're so angry, There's a lot of anger towards religious people. Not everyone, right? I think the media makes it worse than it is. Uh, But there's a lot of anger there and resentment. But at the same time, without this world of Torah that we come from, what's the purpose of Israel's existence, right? The whole nation is lost and it's meaningless, right? There's nothing there to fight for, meaning they need Judaism, they need the Torah. And on the other hand, they resent or they fear that it's going to be somehow shoved down their throats, right? So, it's a, so they, may or may, they may not realize that they need it, but I think what we've seen in, over the last several decades, right, the long, slow death of secular Zionism, right? At one point, that seemed to have been enough, right? It was going for a while, but Rav Cook said that it was going to peter out, right? He was totally prophetic on that, right? Which he said it at a time when they were the dominant ones and they were passionate and it was driving people to give up their lives, right, for the state of Israel was secular Zionism. It was very powerful, right? But at a certain point, it petered out because it just, it, it just it couldn't last. It's not based in Torah. And so it couldn't last. And so the only thing that's left now, right, is a Zionism that's based in Torah. So they need it. They really need it. Um, and I, I suspect that some of them know that they need it. Uh, and at the same time, they, they're, they're afraid of it. And I also understand that. Right as we've been talking about, they had to have something in them because why would they be drawn? Yeah. to the land. So maybe that. Look, as R. Cook said, I t- we take it yeah, as for granted here. These are all holy people. They're all holy, holy <laughs> Jews. This is our people, right? It, it's a okay, but they're not. So they're not consciously there, but so, I think. But something drew them there. Right. Look, what we saw yeah. over these last several months was was an emotional outburst. Right. And it makes me think of Shaul. Shaul's not bad. Shaul is a, is a foundational piece of Mashiach, right? It's not bad. It's, it's emotional. It's fear. And it's, and it's right? We, we haven't really focused on it so much, but Shaul is worthy of, of, of our pity and, and, you know, and our love, right? I mean, it's, he's in terrible, terrible pain, right? When a, person, a, a great man falls to something, to a moment like this, or right, to a situation like this, it's not something, uh, God forbid, to celebrate, Right, it's something to empathize with, right? And that's that you know, but I think there's something here. Right? When 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 you sense a certain emptiness in yourself, and you see that other people don't have that emptiness, right, right, there's definitely an emptiness in the world of secular Zionism. It just doesn't move people anymore, the grandchildren, the way it moved the grandparents. But and then but then they see who are the most idealistic people. It's those people with the yarmulkes and that crazy long payus. You know, and the dirty pants who come to Hezder yeshivas right they kind of, like all those people like well, who are these guys and why are they so on fire and why are they so idealistic and why are they volunteering and what are they right so there's something you recognize they have something that you don't have right but you're also afraid that it's going to be forced upon right it, there's, there's there's definitely something I think there's something there the Mashiach ben Yosef, just like the Yemen, yeah it's the more secular I yeah deal, the this is what we were talking about Mashiach ben Yosef Mashiach ben David so now, what's clear here, and this is what I want to spend the rest of the time talking about to go a little deeper. We've been doing a lot of psychology and emotion. But what's going on here with, right? I can only do that with the right? Torah, right? <laughs> what, what is it about Rosh Chodesh? What, that this is a very key moment. Not, it's not an accident that this is all happening over Rosh Chodesh. And Rashi says, right, that, that it was, you know, the chidusha levana, Right? This was like a very big moment. That everybody in the king's court, nobody missed it. Everybody was there for Rosh Chodesh. There's a deeper significance to this test, to this day of Rosh Chodesh, that all of this is happening on Rosh Chodesh. So let's dive in for the last uh, 15 minutes or so. Gemar and Chulin, Number 14, Rabbi Shimon ben Pazi Rami. Rabbi Shuman Pazi points out a contradiction. So it's it's written vayasa Yasalu Gedolim at right? the very beginning in creation, Hashem made two great lights. Right? But then it's written, Uktiv et katan, right, referring to the big light and the small light, the sun and the and the moon. So what's going on here? So we get this incredible, fascinating backstory. Amra yareach Right? The moon says to God when when he Hashem first made the sun and the moon equal. He says to God, <laughs> Is it possible that two kings could share one crown? So, so, Right? So Hashem says to the Levana, Go and make yourself smaller. You're right. Good point. So the sun will be the king and you'll be smaller. Okay? Not exactly what the, what the moon was hoping for. I said something that was totally rational to you. So, and then you come and uh, you tell me, that I have to make myself smaller. So Hashem says, "Okay, good point." Amrlah la lechiu mishol right? He said, "You can go and you will rule by day and by night." And the moon says, "What do you mean?" My rabu "You know, the sharga betihara, maya honey." What? I'm going to be there during the day. No one sees the moon during the day because of the light of the sun. Amar la right? Lim nu becha yisrael yamimushanim. He says, "Don't worry, right? I'll tell. I'll give you a good comfort." The people of Israel are going to count right, their days and their years according to the months. We follow the lunar calendar, not the solar calendar. Mm-hmm. Right? So, Amr Yomanami Yomanami Anami Delo Manu Be'i Tkufusa. Right? It's true, we, we follow the lunar calendar, but we're not like the Muslims. Right? Where Ramadan can fall out at any time of the year. We know that it always has to adjust and to fit the solar calendar as well. So, come on, Hashem. That's not really enough. <laughs> so, so zeal, So Hashem says, right that the uh, that the, the righteous will be called, you know, by your name, Yaakov hakatan, Shmuel hakatan, David hakatan. You're the katan. It's not so bad to be the katan, right? Not so bad to be the katan. Right? So misva daiti. Right. So he saw that he was still not consoled. Amar kadosh Baruch Hu. Right? And he says, you know, Hashem says, you know, bring an atonement for me for making the moon smaller. You're right, I shouldn't, it, it's chatasi, said Hashem, I sin. So, hainu right? Damar Hashem ben lakish, Si Rosh marbo la Hashem, The korban of Rosh Chodesh is really for Hashem. It's every Rosh Chodesh, right? When the moon is nothing, Hashem has to do chuva, so to speak, right? And bring a korban. Amr Right, I'm bringing this 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 Korban, right, as a as an atonement because I made the moon smaller. Whoa. Right? Try to unpack that one. What in the world is going on here? What does that mean? Right? So I, I think there's a lot more here. This is worthy probably of a shear in its own right. Uh, but just a few a few thoughts. Right? The story of the sun and the moon is a story of what emotion? Gaiva, jealousy, right? Does that sound familiar? Sounds very, sounds very much like the story that we're reading, right? Gaiva and jealousy, kina, all of this, right? The jealousy of Shaul and uh, with, of David, right? And then, but then we have this punishment, right? And it's a punishment which contains great mercy, right? It's true that the moon's going to wane and be smaller, be incomplete. But on Rosh Chodesh, what happens every month, the moon is born again right? The moon on the one hand is suffering, right? It has to, there's ups and downs but the moon does get to start again, right? The moon is never down permanently, right? It's interesting, right? Rosh Chodesh really should be a day of great humility because the moon is at its lowest moment here, It's zero. It should be a, gr- a day of great humility, of, of, of healing, right? You know, the moon, it begins to heal and starts to get bigger again and yet here on Rosh Chodesh, Sha'ul who represents Mashiach ben Yosef, who's meant to be second in command to David. David is supposed to be the king, right? So meaning Shaul should be the moon, but he rejects the message of Rosh Chodesh, of the moon, on Rosh Chodesh, right? Kind of an interesting comparison here, right? This is Rosh Chodesh. This should have been the moment where Shaul realizes, okay, yes, it's hard to be second. Right, sort of like Harry, you know, Prince Harry. It's hard. It's very hard to be second. But it's also not so terrible. Right? Prince Harry could have a really good life. There's a lot of good, good, good things he could do in the world. Right? But instead he chooses jealousy that I have to be in charge. It's got to be me. It's all me. Right? That's, that's Shaul. And there's a real, so there's a real sadness, a real brokenness there. So we could leave it at that, but I think there's a lot more. Because right? there's also a deep connection between Rosh Chodesh and David. Okay? Now, this is, right, look at number, this we know, right? Kiddush Levana. And we're going to say this again very soon. Right? In, in Kiddush Levana, what do we do? We say, David, Melech Yisrael Chayvechayam. And, in, right, that's Kiddush Levana. And on Musaf of Rosh Chodesh, he made it into the Shemona Esrei. Right? If you look towards the bottom of number 16, Shirei David of Decha, Hanishma Im b'yirecha. Right? So you could say maybe it's a, it's, you know, it, it's, it's a coincidence. I don't think so. Right? I don't think it's a coincidence, because take a look at number 17. This is really amazing. The measure says, Right, so the, the moon, on the first day of Nisan, it begins to, uh, to, 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 show, to, to give its light. For the first 15 days, the moon gets bigger and bigger, right, and shines more and more light the discus of the moon becomes whole on the fifteenth. Then for the next fifteen days, it goes down. It gets smaller and smaller. And then bishloshim And on the thirtieth day you can't see it at all. Israel. so too for the people of Israel, Dor min Avraham From Avram to Shlomo, it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Things got greater and greater and greater. Right, what is Shlomo? Mashiach ben David, right, the one who builds the Beit HaMikdash that David so badly wanted to build. Haredid Male disko shlavana. And then what happens though after Shlomo? At that moment, after Shlomo, it starts going down. Uven shlomo rechavam. Rechavam is 16. And then after Rechavam Avia, and then Asa, Yehoshaphat, Yehoram Achaz Yahu, Yoash Amatsyahu, Yotam Achaz Yechizkiyahu, Menasha Amon Yoshiyahu, Yehoyakim. And then you get to Tzidkiyahu, is the very end. Right? They blinded Tzidkiyahu, right? And Chaser Ora Levana, That represents right, the 30th day where you really can't see the moon at all. Right? That's Tzidkiyahu at the very end. All the light is gone. Amazing, right? The waxing and the waning of the moon <coughs> symbolize the waxing and the waning of Malchus Base David, of David's royal line, but also the nation that they are destined to lead, right? It begins with Avraham and goes and ends in Sidkiyahu, but it's also the fate of all of us, along with the fate of David Amalek and his, and his children. Right? It's really something. Now, if you look in the, in the halacha. Right, the, the Rama says, in the second line, V'nogin Lomar, at, at Kiddush Levana, we say, David Melech Yisrael, Chai v'kaya. Why do we do that? Right, right, as we just saw in the Medrash, because David's Malchus is compared to the moon. And one day, it will be renewed, just like the moon is renewed. Rosh Chodesh, it starts again, and gets bigger again. Knesset Yisrael, Tachzor L'tabek V'va'ala. We will come back and we will become attached again to our husband, to Hashem. Right? One day the moon will become big and whole again, an equal partner to the sun. All right? And they will be reunited as equals again. Right? All right. That's why we do Rikudin be Dugmat Why do we dance like we're at a wedding? All, right, all the guys dance, right? Or at least the ones who are not misnagdim, they all dance. But really, misnagdim need to dance too. It's the Ramah, right? This is not uh, just Hasidim. Everybody needs to dance. Why, why is Kiddush Levana so happy? Why is it so joyous? Because it, we remember that however bad things are at the moment, it will not remain that way. We have been promised for all eternity that it will not remain that way, that it's going to get better, Right? And it's amazing. So even though David is the one who's meant to be the king, right? he's really like, I guess, the sun compared to Shaul, who would be the moon. Ultimately, he's the moon. He's the one who absorbs this lesson of Rosh Chodesh more than Shaul because he's the man of, of great humility who recognizes that he's really just, that he's the moon. And he accepts that Hashem is the sun. I am the moon, says David HaMelech. Right? And if there's anything that we we should have learned over millennia of exile, it's this, that for the house of David to return to its glory, we have to stand in humility before Hashem, right? With that, with that love and understanding for Shaul and for his pain and for his brokenness, right? If, 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 we're gonna, if we're going to come back like David and Melech, we need to understand, right, the other half who's Shaul. Now, what's interesting is that this is all machar chodesh, right? When they have their conversation, David and Yehonatan, Right. Tomorrow is, the, is Rosh Chodesh. So what day were they, did they meet? What day were they talking? The 30th. the 30th, at the darkest moment. That's when David and Yehonatan are talking. Right? When the moon has completely disappeared. Right? So it's a time when they couldn't see how this was going to be good, how this was going to work out. But at the same time, if you know and you have faith, you know that the moon will be reborn and it will illuminate the night sky once again, right? That's the symbolism of meeting on the day Erev Rosh Chodesh, between this meeting between David and Yehonatan. And at a time like this, when the moon has disappeared, right? Yonatan understands that David's day is going to come, right? He makes this covenant that he says, you're going to be king and all the enemies are going to be slaughtered. Just be kind to my, my children, right? I mean, it's like wild. The faith that Yonatan has at the darkest day on day 30 of the month when you can't see any, right? When everything looks incredibly bleak for David. And he does every, So he does everything in his power to give strength to David, to let him know that the light, that your light will never be extinguished. Right, and and I think you know we, we often maybe feel that way now. We have these very dark moments here, where we think that maybe uh, the light is extinguished. But we know, right? We know that we're the people of David. David is our king. Right? The light will come. I just I just happened to come across a pasuk today, which I have to share with you because I don't. I'm not really conversant in the later neviim. I mean, really much of anything, but certainly not the later neviim. I'm not like some of the Christians I hang out with. I can't quote Isaiah like left and right, you know. <laughs> So, but here, the first pasuk in the ninth chapter of, of Isaiah, of Yeshaya, Ha'am ha'holchim b'choshech, re'u <laughs> or gadol. Right, the people who walked in darkness, they'll will see a great light. Yoshve Baaret salmavet or naga'aleihem. Those who dwell in the shadow of death, a light will shine upon them. Could that, I mean, it's as if Yishayah could, could, have, said, could have been standing next to David. He could have been Yonatan saying those words to David. You're walking in darkness, but the light will come. Machar Chodesh. Right? Tomorrow is Rosh Chodesh. I thought just it hit me. Wow, what a Pasar. Right, But back to my father-in-law's question. I know we have to go quickly. What's going on here with the arrows? Why do we need all of this, this, all this symbolism? Right? So he could have just told him directly that his father wanted to kill him. Now it seems that Jonathan did not you know, plan to have this final goodbye with David. He was the optimist, right? Uh, but now that it's clear that his father is going to, to try to kill David and David has to run away, right? You know, it, like they're, they're they end up meeting in, in person, you know, and they, they throw caution to the wind. Who knows who's watching? They come out into the field, right? And they hug each other and they have their goodbye. So, the, 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 if so, if they, so what's with this test, right? So why do they have this test in the first place? And the meaning of the arrow falling in the field as opposed to the arrow going beyond the field. So look at this beautiful Torah from Rav Eliezer Castiel. Really just amazing. He says, "Imachitzim makom." If the arrows had fallen within the field, it would symbolize the fact that, that you could imagine because it fell within eye, you know, within sight of your eyes, right? You know, and what you're looking at in the field, right? You could imagine that you know, you know, it's possible. You can see that there's a path forward for Shaul and David to work together. Ulamim machitzim minach tu harchik misham, but if the if the arrows go further, simancha matzav murkav, it shows that the situation is very complicated, very messy. V'tallich bniyatam malchutsho David yemem mushach ve'savuch, and it tells us that the the process for building the malchus of David is going to take a long time and be very hazy and very complicated. Gam be'mikraze mitchay v'yohannotam l'hamsich l'shateiv pulam David v'leir tomet kol kolchotav l'atzachato l'chinun malchuto. Now even in this bad situation where It's way past the field. (laughs) The the, the arrows are all gone. Yonatan's going to do what he can to help David. It cannot happen in a simple and clear way, which could have been. It could have been that Shaul would have said, I'll work with you, David. You'll be my son-in-law. I'll groom you to be the king. It'll be wonderful. Unfortunately, it's not going to go that way, and it's going to be complicated and painful. After his his reaction, Shaul's reaction, He shoots the arrows very far. Telling David, you're going to have to go back to Beit Lechem. You're going to have to go back to your place, which is where Shaul's mother, Rachel, is buried. David, and Yanim, and Kochot, This is the secret mystical bond between the two of them of, da- of David and Yehonatan, of Yehuda and Ben Yamin, of Mashiach, Ben David and Mashiach, Ben Yosef. And they both understood that if it would not happen directly with Shaul, with the king, who had the power to make it happen directly, it would happen indirectly in a more complicated way with the Yehonatans of the world, right? Yehonatan comes from Shaul. He doesn't have the power of Shaul. One day, though, Sh- Yonatan, and Sha'ul to- and Yonatan and David will be able to come to the same result. It'll just be harder. When he, when he shoots these arrows, he's not just giving him a very, you know, a technical sign that, oh, that it's dangerous or it's not dangerous because that he didn't really need. Right? Zoe kriat kivun. He's announcing a whole new direction in David's life and his life. Right? He's this is like a very symbolic moment for two very symbolic men. We know they're very symbolic, right? David Amelach, he wrote all of Tehillim. right? It's one gigantic symbol of, you know, I mean it's beautiful, it's poetry. These are men of poetry, and this is a moment of poetry. Right? He's, where this is a new moment in David's life, it's been settled. Um, where we Kamat Mahuto mesubehar, where they both accept that this is going to be long and hard and painful and then they cry each of them on each other's shoulders. Right? Habekhi ino Rak Pray. that's not because they're sad just because they're sad to leave each other, but it's because of what's going to come. They know how painful it's going to be. This is a, a, they're weeping over the inability of the Jewish people to come together, right? They're not just crying over the, this moment, this particular situation. It's a crying for all generations that we can't take the easier and simple path of simply loving each other and coming together in harmony and recognizing that we each have greatness and we each need each other. Right? It could have been so much easier, but sadly it's not. And so we're on the long and difficult and painful road. Right? And this is really the question you know, of our time. Right? The future leadership of the Jewish people, we know, belongs to David. That's, that's unquestionable. Right? It's happening. Right? And he's the man who represents Hashem in his Torah. That's our destiny. But the question is, right, we know that, that the 10 tribes have to be joined together with David HaMelech in order for Mashiach to come, the question is: How hard will it be? Right? Will it be through Shaul or will it be Yehonatan? That's the question that we have facing us in our own time. Right? Will they support us in fulfilling our mission, and then so we can support them in fulfilling theirs, or will we try to destroy each other? Right? This is the uh, the great, great question. You know, just as a as a final you know final point, because this is like, it's, I just I couldn't let this go. What happens next? And we'll talk about this, God willing. Uh, I guess in the fall. Um, what happens next is, is really tragic. David runs away to the town of Nov, and because he's starving, he asks for bread, and the Kohen Gadol gives him bread, and then Shaul slaughters the entire town of Nov. And so what happens? The Gemara here says in number 20, that, uh, had Yehonatan, when he said goodbye to David at, at this moment, given him some bread. ira <coughs> kohenim that whole city would not have been slaughtered. <clears throat> the whole disaster that followed, Shaul and all of his sons being slaughtered, being murdered, all of this, being you know, dying in battle, all of it could have been avoided, all of that suffering, had only Yonatan gone the extra mile and helped David along on his path and on his journey. And I think there's something very symbolic about that. <clears throat> there's a deeper criticism here, right? <laughs> had Yehonatan not just hugged David and wished him well, but had Yehonatan run away together with David, right, maybe that terrible civil war could have been averted, which comes later, the whole civil war between David and the the children of Shaul. It's a whole disaster, right? If only the Mashiach ben Yosef, Yehonatan, had gone together with Mashiach ben David, had been all in together with him. It's not enough just that he wasn't fighting David, that he was his friend, but we need, right, the people of David need the people of Shaul to go along with us. We need each other desperately because if they don't come along with us, right, the path is that much more painful, that much rockier. Right, we know that David's day is coming, but we pray it'll come through the path of Shaul and won't have to come through the path of Yonatan. It should be that way in this generation and uh, for all the, all the generations to come until the times of Mashiach.